And what sweeter privilege do we have than to stand and read God's Word? If you do not have one of these sheets, you didn't know that rule when you came in, would you just lift your hand, please? One of our members is going to give you their sheet. We want to do this all together. Anyone? You don't have a sheet today. Let's stand together and read God's Word. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. For someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Please be seated and open a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 for a larger text. It is typical Paul, brilliant mind, missionary heart, and he is concerned about a church. A man in Corinth, a member of the congregation, has or is having his father's wife. Porneia, that's the Greek word. You'll recognize it from our English word pornography, porneia, Paul calls it. That's the general word for sexual immorality. It was the larger word, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, all perversions of sexuality, porneia covered all of that. In a tolerant age, we forget that the church was born in a clear call of repentance. The church lived then and now in a high view of man's potential in Christ and the clear design that we would be called to be holy people and not only are we called to be holy people, we can be in, the, in Christ, in the power of the Spirit. So to introduce that vision, Paul begins to talk about Passover, which is interesting because this is a largely Gentile church and he's going to pull back out of the Old Testament a, a model, a form, and he's going to talk to them about something they may have never done personally or really heard too much about. Remember, Paul said, the Jews, before they were delivered from Egypt, that they were instructed by God to kill an innocent lamb, wipe the blood over the doors of their houses, and mark their house as covered and safe from judgment. The angel was going to pass over them so far as judgment was concerned. But he said, that same ceremony, the same ceremony, the first day and then all the way for the rest of the week, there was another part. It wasn't just a blood, a lamb, that you were to also search your house and get rid of all the leaven. And so it was a, a, a form. Every day, they would get up, they would search the leaven, they would get rid of it in their house uh, as part of this Passover. Leaven was yeast, it was used in bread making, and so it was almost in everybody's house. 
But it was also a common symbol for sin and contagion. So what was being taught here was if the Lamb of God is to save us from sin, people have to share in the responsibility of that, of getting rid of it, of calling it what it is, of getting it out of your house and out of your heart. You can't be passive. You cannot assume that God will do all this work for you. Uh, you have to be an active member of that facing sin for what it is and getting rid of it. All that's taught in that ancient rite. But Christ, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed, Paul says in verse 7, bringing them back to the present and, to, uh, and us as well. The first part of this ancient form has been fulfilled in the death of Christ on the cross. Now, Paul says, God requires the second part of us, second part of that passage, that form, to be done in us as well. That the people of God, even those covered by the death of Christ, need regularly a time of honest searching, your house and your heart, for sins that either never were gone or you have let back in in your lack of discipline. When does that happen for us, I mean? When does this church take a moment to do a serious moral inventory, an honest look at who we are, what we are thinking, how we are spending our lives? When do we do that part of Passover? Teenagers have youth camp for a, a week. We will take them and we will pour God's word into them and ask them to consider who they are and what they are doing. We used to have revivals, sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks, where we'd meet night after night, and there would be this intense, very real searching of the heart. But these days, I'm afraid that really the answer is never, almost never. The Church of Jesus Christ has lost this ability to do this part of Passover, to look honestly at our hearts and say, this is not what God wants from me. Tonight, Pastor Chris, on his first time for teaching, will talk about repentance. What if God is setting up this dear church for us to relearn that ancient and life-giving form of what happens when people will do this again, when we will look at sin and repent from it consciously and deliberately. I, I think it's very important for all of us to be here tonight, and I encourage you to come. I will be here. But rather than a day for Paul, a, a, a holiday that you schedule, for Paul, there were some interior um, Moments that really make Passover what it is. And so let me suggest those to you. Passover for us is when we mourn. Verse 2. Did this man marry his mother-in-law? Uh, were they just sleeping together? Had his father died? Was there a divorce? It really doesn't say. Whatever the situation was, though, it was very clear to the congregation. It was no secret. The whole congregation knew what was going on with this man. And Paul's great sorrow is that there was no sorrow in the church. Nobody mourned. Nobody wept. Um, everybody was pretty calm. 
the next week at prayer meeting, they all went. The next morning, next Sunday morning, they all had worship. We all went to Sunday school. Everybody got their highlights and read what was going on in the women's retreat. It just went right on as if nothing too large had happened. There was no grief that something valuable had been lost, whether that man or the opportunity for us to be a holy church. And that's not true of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he will say, Out of much afflictions and many tears I wrote to you. It broke his heart. It broke his heart to see a church just welcome that kind of behavior and then just go on with their life. Why doesn't it break ours? The New Testament often speaks of people who are demon-possessed, and when they were demon-possessed, they would, uh, the person would experience what the demon, the spiritual person, was experiencing. If the demon was afraid, the person would feel fear. Um, I think the same ought to be said for a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, that if the Spirit of God fills you, that you ought then to feel what he feels about things. And if he grieves about sin, if, it, if something has died because sin has now entered into the church and everybody is tolerant of it, then when he grieves, we should grieve as well. So Passover is for us when we go. Go have that conversation. Go care in that active way. We'll supplement Paul's teaching this morning with the teaching of Christ in Matthew 18. It's printed in your, your sheet. Um, if your brother sins, you go. And you show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. It doesn't need to be a public event. Salt does not need a press conference to do its work. It does require, however, courage and prayerful preparation um, if it is easy for you to criticize your brothers, then perhaps you should keep your mouth closed. If you feel superior or you halfway enjoy putting them in their place, then you are not the person. But if this is the hardest thing you have ever done, if it takes you tears to pray and get ready, and you, so far as you can tell, there is no joy in it at all except obedience to Christ, um, then that is the Lord. When the disciples argued in private about who was the greatest, did Jesus just then call a meeting and they went on to their next mission? No. He confronted it. He said, what were you guys arguing about? What was going on out there? So Paul here is proposing a church that is utterly unique in the way that people live. It is a shared life. It is koinonia. It is something we hold in common. And part that we hold in common is this intense confidence that a holy God will live in our presence and help us live holy lives. If you sinned and drifted back into the world, would anybody come see you? If you sinned and would anyone come see you? Well, if it happened to your friend, would you go see them? That's the question being asked. 
So Passover is when we stand with Scripture rather than our feelings or anyone else's feelings. Um, there is nothing about the situation that was unclear in the Bible or Roman law for that matter. Now, I will tell you that for the Romans, the, re the scandal of this was less the sex than it was the disregard, the insult to the father, either his memory or his. the Romans were aghast. They could not believe you would do this. So Roman law was clear, but so is the scripture. Deuteronomy 27, 20, cursed is he who lies with his father's wife. But, but people don't like rules. They just don't like rules. And um, even if it's God who's giving them. The, the scripture says sin is lawlessness. That's its essential nature. You, you draw the line, and I'm going to test it just out of my sin nature. I'm going to step over it. That's what it means to transgress, to here's the line, and I step over it because that's the essential nature of the human heart. So the great loyalty of the church is not only to be loyal to that, our brother, but be loyal to our father. So you redraw the line where God drew the line. You say, this is what the scripture says. This is what the Bible teaches. And Psalm 19, oh, oh God, how I love thy law. Um, I, I am grateful that God has given us clear lines about gossip, about greed, about immorality, about criticism, about cruelty. Are you glad this morning that God is not confused as to what the human race is supposed to be? Right? He is not confused about what the human race is supposed to be. We were made in his image and he set lines to say you, you are not to live outside these lines. Parents, whose job is it for you to teach your children the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You keep the Sabbath day holy. Whose job is it to teach your children those laws? Well, it's yours. But how could you ever do that if the church didn't stand with you and encourage you and give you other couples and families that were doing the same thing, saying those same things to our children? Judge not. That's what people will tell me. But whatever that means, it cannot mean silence. Whatever judge not means, it does not mean that I stay silent. In Mark 6, John the Baptist said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It cost him his life. In the gospel, Jesus said, this was meant to be a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves, a, a place where people who are outside God's will feel safe. You've done exactly the opposite. Rather than people crying out to God, you've made a place where they can be sinners and feel good about themselves. So whatever not judging means, it does not mean that you stay silent in the face of morally challenged lines. 
Um, how can men know what is right and wrong from God except we speak in the Spirit from the Scripture? How can men know what is right before God except we speak from the, in the, from the Scripture in the Spirit? So Passover is for when, when we mourn, when we go, when we stand with Scripture, and when we, when we restore. The goal is not to hurt. It wasn't for Paul. It's not for us. You check your heart. Even the harsh-sounding words in verse 5, we will destroy his flesh, I think reference that man's lower nature, his sin nature, you remove the protection and the security of the church, and he is shocked to discover how vulnerable he is outside in the world. You remove any confusion in his mind that he has taken a path that is not consistent with the Word of God, and he is, he's returned to that moment of why he was saved in the first place. He hopefully... The flesh is challenged, and he runs fleeing back to the cross. By the way, that is exactly what happened in this case. Go read 2 Corinthians. This young, this church stood with Paul, and they said, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. And they challenged that young man, and he repented. And so by 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying, receive him back. It's fine. He, he has repented. We're good. Let him back, come back home. Maybe you don't see it happening much in the modern world, and that's probably better. But this kind of church discipline is pretty common even in a New Testament church like ours. A young couple presents themselves for membership in our church, and it is clear that they are not married, but they are living together. One of the pastors, and it's often me, and it will be Chris, or one of the others, will talk to them in private and say, let's talk about this, your marriage, before we move forward with membership. Let's, let's visit about that before we move forward. Sometimes in the past, people have reacted in anger to that. They've taken offense and left. But others, I can tell you with great joy, and I can see some of their faces have said, you know, you're right, Pastor. Let's get that straight, and then we'll come forward and be members of your church. And some of those couples are serving well in this church right now. You didn't know that story, but it was that gentle challenge up front that said, let's get this thing in, in order. A man living in a homosexual lifestyle begins to sing in the choir. With that same sort of firmness and kindness, he is challenged in private that we would send the wrong message to the gay community in our city of who we are and what we believe. And he's encouraged that this just can't continue. A man is openly critical of the pastor. Without any instructions, members of the church begin to go and challenge him in private. That is not right, they will say to him. You can say to the pastor whatever you want in private, but you cannot talk that way about him in this church. Sometimes, sadly, he leaves, but what is left is a New Testament church that has courage and integrity to say to the best of our ability what we believe God says. 
See, the world can never define who the church is. Jesus defines who the church is. And we have to have strength to say, to the best of our ability, we will interpret that rightly and we will stand there. A day is coming, God help us, maybe soon, when the American church, and this one in particular, will wake from a restless sleep and realize that sin is the problem. It always has been. Sin is the problem, everybody. It always has been. And the only thing the church has going for it is the Holy Spirit. And if you offend him, there is no reason to be here. None. And so people who love God and love each other have the courage to say that. In John 4, Jesus sits down beside a well and begins to talk to a woman, a Samaritan woman. They are alone. She is intrigued and interested. Eventually the Lord, with her and with me, and probably with you, deliberately and kindly brings up the subject of her sin. Go call your husband, he says. I don't have a husband, she says. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband, he said. Sir, I perceive you to be a prophet, she says. The insight for us is that the Lord, in order to love her or to love you, must finally bring this subject up. He cannot ignore your sin. He cannot pretend that it doesn't matter because it does. He can do it gently or he can do it firmly and sometimes he does both. But if the Lord loves you and wants you to be a part of his people, sooner or later, we have to talk about that. And the same rule applies to his people. I invite you this morning to a Passover celebration. An ancient Jewish rite where as part of our joy that the Passover lamb has died on the cross to forgive us our sins, we deliberately and powerfully go into a time of moral inventory. Show me, God, what part of my life grieves you and must be dealt with now. I invite you to Passover. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that who you are so, it is so much larger than who the church ever is or could be. We are mere reflections of your great character. The glory is yours, the power is yours, the beauty, the eternal favor. This gathered group of people has nothing if we do not have your approval and your blessing and your presence. Nor does any individual family leaving from here can, can take away anything of value if it is not you who goes with us. So come this morning and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to enter into a time of moral inventory, 
look honestly at the ways that we've tried to make the church what we want it to be and resisted any call of, on your part to make it what you want it to be. Our marriages too, where we have defined our marriages in terms of what is best for us or possible for us. And our witness in the world, our generosity, all things help us to run down that list and deal honestly with you.